Hi, I'm Leslie Manukian, president and founder of Health Freedom Defense Fund, here today with Conversations on Health Freedom. Today, our guest is Amanda Forbes. Amanda is the president of Children's Health Defense Canada. I am absolutely delighted to welcome her to the show to talk to her about why she got into health freedom issues, and then also to share her incredible story of healing her father. Welcome to the show, Amanda. Thank you for having me, Leslie. Such my such an honor and such a pleasure, I have to tell you. So um, generally speaking, when I have guests on, we don't talk so much about specific healing journeys. And I really want to delve into that because I, I've heard of so many people who are asking, how do I get better? So-and-so has this kind of a condition or something. What can I do after having gotten the um, C-19 injection? And so um, let's get into that. But first, why don't you just tell us a little bit about how it is that you got involved with health freedom in the first place? Oh, boy, it, it's always a story, isn't it? It just it seems to keep getting longer these days because there's so many more reasons to get into it. But my journey started in 2014 when I had my youngest. Um, I took her in for her first well baby visit and we weren't even out of the office and the encephalitis started. So she had gotten the DTAP and I mean, at that point, you had already heard the crazy stories from other parents. It was just the quackery. Do you know what I'm saying? So let me ask you. So, so you had heard from other parents, you kind of had a bit of anxiety going into it, but you did it anyway. Is that what I'm understanding? Not really necessarily the, the, the anxiety, but because the screaming, like the different form of screaming started happening in that office and her little legs came up into her belly and actual real tears started to form that it hit me immediately. I'm like, Oh no, I I'm one of them, you know, but at the same time thinking, okay, how do I get through this? And how do I make sure my kid's safe so that I can take her back? and continue on with the vaccines that are safe and effective and will save her life. Mm -hmm. So me being in fear mode, delayed the second shot, took her in again for the next DTAP. And that's when the screaming got excessively louder. She stopped sleeping altogether. She couldn't look us in the eyes anymore. She would look for the ceiling constantly. She would only let me hold her. And if she, the only time she didn't cry was when she was breastfeeding. So that was my, that was my fall into the rabbit hole of medical freedom. Um, I'm happy to report it took me three years but I've corrected that as well. Um, so you've been able to recover your daughter fully, would you say? Fully, a hundred percent fully. Yeah. It took her three years to start to talk and, and uh, kind of engage and, and the whole nine yards. But I think that's, that's where the linear process comes with this whole journey. I'm going to tell you about today, because I can't, I can't tell you how much simple is better. And we Mm -hmm. overlook that at such a high rate that we need to stop ourselves and come back. (laughs) Now, before we, yes, a hundred percent, before we go into that, I want to ask you something, or I want to share something with our viewers, which is what you're describing. There's actually a clinical diagnosis for it's called a Cree encephalique, right? Mm -hmm. So it's an encephalitic cry, meaning that there is such tremendous inflammation in the brain that a 
human being who's experiencing it, in this case, a baby, will shriek in a shrill and extreme manner that is something that's no parent has ever heard before. Would you tell us a little bit more about that? And please correct me if I misunderstand in any way. Well, it's definitely worse than nails on a chalkboard. That's for sure. Um, Especially watching a perfect, happy little little creature go from quiet and gooing to to nothing but shrieking and in constant pain. And uh, you could see in the doctor's eyes too, before I left, because this both reactions took place before I walked out of this building. And she told me that it was a normal reaction. And, you know, you can, you you second guess it in your brain, but you're not the lab coat, you know? Um, So it, it takes a lot of trying to work through it in your, in your brain. But when I did bring her back, they told me she had heartburn and this is what was going on. So then they gave her ranitidine and then it just kept getting worse and worse. And like I said, she would sleep 10 minutes a day, 10 minutes a day. The rest of the time she was either breastfeeding or screaming and there was no in between. It was horrific. And I'm admittedly going to tell you, I was one of those parents that thought all those people out there that blamed vaccines were crazy. They were the nuts. They were the quacks. And it was like an immediate karma smack in my face. I ran into a wall and I remember feeling it. I'm like, I am the biggest idiot on earth. And it was immediate anger, immediate regret, immediate remorse, you know, and just how do I fix this? But first, let's fix the kid. Next, let's save the rest of the kids. Wow, Amanda. I know people whose children have had reactions, some who even have just slowly declined, but who are so committed to the belief system, right? Their worldview Mm -hmm. that these things, (laughs) these injections are truly about health and well-being and that they're fully safe and effective, that they can't ever admit it. So I just want to applaud you and say kudos to you for actually admitting what was staring you in the face because so many people don't have the courage to do that. Can you just tell us a little bit about, I mean, it was staring you in the face, but did you did you second guess yourself? Were you angry with yourself or at the system? You know, you ex- you expressed that you felt like an idiot. You felt anger, all these things. Where was it directed? And, and kind of just, I mean, I can't imagine going through that process. I did it to myself, but I didn't do it to my son. Thank goodness. Yeah. Yeah. I think and, um, the initial is guilt, right? That That's going to be your first and foremost. I caused this pain in this kid. And now I have, I'm forced to kind of figure out how I caused this pain to this kid when a system I trusted gave me a method to protect that child and I believed them. So kind of unraveling that was really, really difficult for me. And especially dealing with the other people in my life going, okay, well now it's time for the third one. Now it's time for the fourth one or whatever it was. And I'm like, I'm not ready yet. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's how I pushed it off a little while. Um, After that second one, I, I completely said to myself, that is it. We are done. But I didn't say it out loud to other people because I still thought, okay, maybe I'm crazy, but I'm buying myself the time to to research more and to understand what's going on and and just see if I can correct this. So I went into immediate detox mode, right? She's breastfed, so I have to detox. Something's going on there to help her detox. Um, And we did all the things like 
bentonite clay and you know the the chelation and and whatnot and that seemed to work uh we also did the zeolite when she was a little Mm -hmm. bit older and that was fantastic for her um yeah it's it the emotions are a roller coaster and it's almost like a, a a kind of like going through a death except I'm grateful that I still have this perfect little creature that I now need to heal from the inside out. And um, we got rid of everything. We got rid of all of the chemicals. We got rid of all of the dairy, the sugar, the wheat, not that for me initially at first, right. But she's never had dairy or anything like that. Um, And, and, and to eat clean, very clean. And you noticed a rapid progression of healing in that regard. Um, I made my first appointment with the homeopath and got her in there and chiropractors and got her in there. And, and that's how we kind of kept going. And, and from there, yes, my anger increased because I had been lied to Mm -hmm. by a system. I trusted anger is never going to leave me. That's my drive in this. Um, And I didn't think it could get any worse, but it did last year. So if it's okay to have anger, you just have to be able to utilize it for the good of the rest of humanity. And if people don't want to hear it, they're not ready for that truth yet. And that's okay. No, you know, it's it's interesting. Um, I think that many people who are either religious or on some kind of a spiritual path think that there's no place for anger and believe that um, they're not evolved enough or spiritual enough if they're not perfect all the time. And if they're not always kind and compassionate and graceful and sweet. And the truth is, I mean, think about what it says in the Bible that, you know, Jesus went into the plaza and he turned over all the tables of all of the money changers, all of these grifters who were in the plaza. And he literally sent them away. I mean, he was very angry. He was very clear what he meant. And I've dealt with so many people over the years who are um, um, in my own homeopathic practice who are Buddhists and other kinds of spiritual seekers, and they conflate awareness and higher level of consciousness with submission, with literally being uh, being walked on. I knew a woman who was being abused by her husband and she refused to leave him because she felt that it was her lesson to learn or something to figure out, you know? Um, so that's one little, little digression, but I also wanted to share the story of this woman who came to me who had a little, a little baby and this little boy, um, we'll call him John for the sake of this. He came in and she came in and she said that he got his injection, I think in his leg and he screamed for 25 minutes, nonstop. 25 minutes. And the doctor said at the end of this, you know, we'll just slow things down a little bit. You know, we'll just give him a slower schedule. And she did the exact same thing you did. She left and she thought over my dead body. And she went and she started researching it and she called me and asked for some guidance. And I suggested that she reported to VAERS and all these other things. But it's amazing to me how these doctors can't get their heads around Um what they're doing. I guess, you know, it's just too much. I um, actually saw, um, I won't say his name, but many years ago when I was filming The Greater Good, I went to a conference and there was this extremely prominent physician there uh, presenting and he broke down in tears 
talking about how many thousands of children he had vaccinated over the years, literally sobbing that he had done this and that he couldn't believe that he was part of it and that he started to wake up and then he realized, and you know, now he's doing all he can to sort of atone for his sins, but it must be incredibly hard to be a physician and, um, um, and wake up to the reality that these things are neither safe nor effective. And you're, you know, it's like your bread and butter of your practice. Well, and that's, and that's childhood vaccines. Now we're talking about COVID and there's no way you can't see what's happening. There's no way. So let's use that as a segue into um, the the bigger question and the bigger issue, which I hope that we can address for all of our viewers. And that is how you've helped your father to heal. Now, I want to say right up front, we are not giving medical advice. Do not construe anything that we are talking about as medical advice to anybody. It is illegal in the United States. I don't know if it is in Canada. I'm assuming it is in Canada for anybody other than a medical doctor to give medical advice. So that's not what we're doing. We are sharing a story. We are sharing personal experiences. And for me, we're sharing what I would likely do if I were faced with these circumstances. So with that major disclaimer, I just want to be very, very clear. No one can come after us because we're not giving (laughs) medical advice. We're going to talk about what happened to your father because he went and got, I don't know what the circumstances were behind it, but he went and got these newfangled um, experimental gene editing (laughs) Gene therapy, Um, gene therapy injections. So why don't you tell us what happened, what precipitated it, and then we can go from there. Absolutely. Absolutely. So in April of 21, my dad, my dad is a fastball hall of famer here in Canada. He's played for Canada. He plays all over the world. He plays for teams in the States and Australia and you name it. He plays it. Um, He is a six foot four 300 pound, nothing but muscle, you know, they call him the legend for a reason. And um, as soon as they announced here in Canada that if you didn't have it, you didn't travel, he went and got the first one. And he walked through my door the day he got it. And it was just as we were uh, starting to figure out that it was shedding and it wasn't very good for young girls, but nobody had a lot of information. Okay. Mm -hmm. So he walked through my door and his skin was this gray death color. I don't even know how to explain it. It's like zombie skin. If you watch gross movies, but, and I looked at him, I said, you got that vaccine. (gasps) Just looked at me and he went, Oh, enough with your anti-vax BS. I'm like, you know what? We're not having the fight. Fine. You stay over there. Stay away from my kids. This is where we implement you know, social distancing at this point, because we don't buy it from the beginning. Um, he got mad and he went outside in the garage and hung out with my husband or whatever. And uh, yeah, he got the next one in June of 21. And when was is, the first again? Remind me, it was the it first was in- one was in April. Okay. April of 2021. And then the next one was in June of 2021. Mm-hmm. And that's when the fainting spell started. And I want to say something real quick too. It's, it's really interesting. It is so important for people to recognize he got it. Why? So that he could live a normal life. What they did, these mandates worked 
on millions and millions of people. And these people who are, you know, these, these, this ruling class knew exactly what they were doing by mandating this. I know so many people said, well, I didn't want to be able to not travel or whatever the case is. This was a psychological operation from the beginning. They knew that if they took away our freedoms, if they took away our lifestyle, that they could actually coerce us into doing this. Sorry, I just had to interject. So he got the second dose in June of 2021. And that's when the fainting spell started. Yeah. And we weren't really sure what the heck that was, but I knew it wasn't good. Like my dad. Did he have any other issues? Did he have any other problems between the first and the second dose? Between the first and the second dose, not that he let on, not that he let on, but I will tell you, I kept throwing articles at him and he was getting madder and madder and madder. Um, And, you know, I'm like, well, look, all these pilots are having strokes midair the whole nine yards. And he's like, you stop it. This is ridiculous. And anyways, we even deleted each other off of Facebook because he couldn't stand my stuff anymore. Wow. You know, and he'd be like, we can't talk about this, but you could see him getting shaken. And I couldn't figure out why. And hindsight he must have known right. Cause as yeah. these fainting spells started, he's trying to still pretend he's invincible while knowing something is wrong, really wrong. And trying to put me off as a quack, like he normally does, you know? So we're caught between a rock and a hard place here. Um, So fast forward to December 3rd, he finally got on a plane to go to Mexico with some friends. And they landed on December the 3rd. He went for dinner. He woke up on December the 4th and he had had two strokes. So this is where we finally figured out he's having strokes in Mexico. Um, He lost some abilities in his side, his leg um, and whatnot. He had fallen in the shower from what his friends have told me. Anyways, they get him into the hospital and uh, I can't fly to Mexico to be with him because I don't have vaccine papers. Oh gosh. And, you know, if we had just, if he had just waited three months, that whole thing would have been lifted. You know, so it wouldn't even needed the vaccine. It's so ridiculous. Anyways, I digress. You get him into the hospital and they find out he's got two massive clots in the right side. I believe I I might mix up my sides here because I haven't looked at the papers in a while, but two massive clots in his neck. Um, So they have to go in for surgery. And he calls me to tell me, you know, I said, you're not going to be home by Friday. If this is what's going on, you can't fly with clots in you. And he's like, well, this is what they tell me, you know, this is all that's going on. And this is the only way out. And I said, listen, I need you to get them to do your D dimers. I need to know what you're at. We've spoke about this and you need to ask them for some ivermectin because the, the blessing and I feel guilty for saying this all the time. The blessing in the position that I have at Children's Health Defense Canada and Vaxxed Canada and all of those things that led up to this moment is the ability to speak to these people that have gone through these tremendous losses. Mm-hmm. That they, These people, their losses are the only thing that saved my father's life. I saw it coming a mile away, you know? And, uh, so yeah, I said, I, I told you this was going to happen, which like I say all the time is the worst thing I possibly ever could have said, because this is the last conversation I've had coherently with my dad since then. And he said, you know what, baby, I know, 
I know. And I love you, kiddo. And I waited for the line to go dead and it hung up and waited to hear the outcome of surgery. And uh, I think it was maybe a day and a half later when we heard back. And when they went in, they found out the other side was 100% blocked. So they had to go in and do an angioplasty. And when they did the angioplasty, they released the clots, which debilitated his whole brain. So he was, he was gone from there. Um, it took. Can I just ask Amanda, just so we're clear, the one side that was totally blocked, was that blocked as an adverse reaction or was that, so it had clotted or was that something that had been. Oh my goodness. Okay. And when you say he was gone, fully gone, what do you mean by that? Well, he, he can't talk anymore. He can't walk. He can't do anything on his own. Okay. He can't feed himself anymore. He they had to put a trach in, obviously, um, a G tube, the whole nine yards. But he had bilateral infarct, which is both sides of his brain, and it ran deep. So they mm-hmm. thought it affected his spinal cord and the whole nine yards. Um, and they weren't sure what was going to happen. They just told me that you know they didn't think there was a comeback for this. So fast forward again to December 21st when they finally why did you have why did you ask that he be given ivermectin? Just due to the FLCCC protocols and whatnot, I knew what was going on. Mm-hmm. I knew. I knew exactly what had been going on. I had been watching this progress. I knew the timelines matched. I knew. So if anything was going to help him, I thought maybe the ivermectin would help stop the clotting or anything. Because it's anti-inflammatory. Is that what we were thinking? Just, I'm just, remember, I want to share this with the, the viewers so everybody understands what you're thinking and why. At this point, I wasn't sure what I was thinking and why. Okay. I just knew. <laughs> I knew that there was success rates with people that had gone into the hospital and, and with clotting in general. Now I knew it was too late, but I also thought it would maybe help me hang on to him until we got him home. So I knew how to deal with it. If that makes mm-hmm. sense. Sure. Everything about it. I've never been so out of control in my life and not being able to get to him and have some of the best doctors and those nurses that are out there fighting advocate for him, you know, and the friends he was with clearly think I'm a quack as well. So there was no real help in that regard because I had people lined up to be in Mexico with him to advocate for him, but it was just a nightmare. Mm -hmm. We got him back into Ontario on the 21st and I had to wait two days to go see him because of the COVID procedures. I had to go and get myself some fake vaccine papers so I could be beside him. Um, And I had to dress all in their PPE garb and excuse me and whatnot and go in. And I don't even think I was there for five minutes and the social worker was already all over me, you know, about pulling his plug. It wasn't a good quality of life for him. Um, a man of the stature should, you know, needs more. And, and to be fair here, uh, this is, this was my thought going in too, because my dad and I, and my husband had sat down a few months before and we just, we were talking about wishes because we had gotten our will done and he was talking about the same thing. And, and 
he had always anticipated he was just going to have a heart attack and die. This is, he was talking about it all the time lately. Right. So, which makes sense, but he was just going to throw a pump and that was going to be the end of him. That's what he would say. I'm just going to throw a pump. No one's got to worry about me. End of story. Well, that didn't happen. And um, so I was sitting in there with him and the other doctor came in and sat down by the bedside and uh, I was holding his hand and they started uh, talking about, again, it's not a quality of life. He's not coming back for this. There's no recovery. You know, you need to maybe make him comfortable and let him go. So Amanda, I want to say something really important here. People need to understand that Canada is leading the way in one of the most horrific, sickening directions of any of the developed nations. And that is in terms of um, assisted suicide, basically, Um, euthanasia of people that they deem you can be, you can actually go and kill yourself on state (laughs) with state support and on the state back, right? On taxpayers' dollars. Um, Mm -hmm. If you are just too poor to have a quality life, if you are, you know, deemed if you don't think you have much future or something, and it can be just because you're poor, it can be lots of things. So this is the kind of backdrop that we're dealing at the, dealing with this, right? Oh yeah. And it wasn't made out loud at that point. Um, made has been around for people that have been terminally diagnosed for a little while now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, uh, but just this year, there's been, there's been new uh, successions in that with regards to now, people that are that are poor you know and even now we're letting in 18 and older kind of thing going on um but but the um the writing and the proposals have opened the door for 12 and under which is disgusting it is disgusting and remember canada is um oh what's the term i'm looking for here um mature minor They've just introduced that in a lot of places where in BC, you as an infant, you're a mature minor and can decide as young as you want to be that you can get a vaccine. It's ridiculous. This is where we are. Okay. So if you can see that coming in, you can see how this is playing out. It's to remove the parent from the family system and confuse the child so much that they feel like they're a burden on society, that they choose death over living and fighting and the government can wash their hands clean of the blood. You chose um, this. Sorry. It's truly incredible. Yeah. It's disgusting. Oh my goodness. It is. Anyway, I had to bring that up because I think it's so important that people understand that this is what's going on in Canada. So when you say that, that they're having this bedside chat, your father's unable to speak, right? Am I correct? Well, as far as they told me, he was unable to do anything. Nothing. He, he looked just, he looked like he was already dead. So are they just chit chatting amongst themselves? I mean, what's they were talking to me and uh, I was holding his hand. And when they told me that, you know, maybe we'll make him comfortable and just let him go sign the DNRs and the whole nine yards, his eyes blew open in terror. Okay. And he squeezed my hand and he's like, I am in here. I can do this do not let them do this to me. Right. And, and my heart just stopped. Uh, The tears came, my heart stopped. I said, did you see that? He said, no, that's just a reflex. And I was like, that's not a reflex. So he got up and out he went. And um, I had no idea, no idea 
which end was up at this point. And I'm, I'm trying to work with him because now his eyes are open and he's not looking either way. And the terror's kind of removed and he's still holding my hand. And, you know, I just, it was crazy. So my two hours of visitation was up and out I go getting ready to deal with everything else on the sidelines. And I started praying and I'm like, I just, I need to know what to do. I need a sign. I need something. I need anything. Just give me something to know which direction to go. And I got a phone call from a friend. um, And a lot of Canadians will know him. His name is Glenn Jung from Bright Light News. He's an independent media source. And I just unleashed. And that poor, poor man probably had no idea what hit him. (laughs) just unleashed tears and anger. And, and I didn't realize he was, he had a homeopathic background and he uh, put me in touch with a very prominent homeopathic um, doctor and teacher. And they gave me some stuff to give to dad to, to kind of help him along. Now, (laughs) which was great. So we started off with Bothrops and there's a, a another thing called Immunis Mod, which is Dr. Joe. Is that who was helping you? It was. Yes, I know. You know I Dr. Joe? Very well. He's, he's, I, I've actually, he, many people in my family, including myself have had him as a practitioner. Yeah. He's awesome. Amazing. He yeah. is just one of my favorite human beings at this point. We still deal with him with dad, but uh, yeah. So um, I ordered all of that stuff and it came in two days. But in the meantime, I had gone home and I live on a farm. Okay. I have horses. I make my own lotions and soaps and stuff like that since my youngest vaccine reaction. So we can alleviate the chemicals. So I made a batch of, of lotion and I double dosed the ivermectin into it because I had no way to get it into my dad's system in the hospital. Mm -hmm. So your feet have the biggest pores on your body. So I figured we could get it up taken into his system through his feet and there would be no qualms with the hospital, right? It was perfect. He started getting better. He started garnering strength. He started becoming more coherent. And I'm like, holy crap. Did they know that you were putting this on his feet or did they not they know? They thought I was just giving him a little foot rub. <laughs> it smelled like apples, but they thought I was giving him a foot rub. It was great. Right. And it was working. It was the first time I saw him actually come into his own head again. So we're talking horse paste, horse paste, ivermectin. Yeah. hundred percent. I love it. Oh my gosh, Amanda. Desperate times, right? Desperate times call for desperate measures. And, and what people don't really understand is that ivermectin makeup for horses is pretty much the exact same chemical composition as the human ones. So when they were gaslighting this on, on the news and everywhere else, it was completely ridiculous. You know, I, I mean, I was you saying, horse paste. you can lick it. I was, yes. I was saying horse paste. Yeah. Humans can take it internally. You can just 100%. put it in mouth. I I've done it. So as other people in my family, um, no, I was saying it um, facetiously, right. I was being sarcastic because of course they um, ran all these articles. CNN did a hit piece on Joe Rogan because he said that he used ivermectin and was over it in a couple of days that he felt fine. And then they said, you know, you're doing horse paste. And then he had Sanjay Gupta, who's their medical expert on CNN on, I don't know if you ever saw this piece. I did. 
And he accused him. He's like, so, so how do you feel about that? That your colleagues are, are saying that I was taking horse paste. Come on, man. I'm not taking horse paste. This is a known drug. It's one of the drugs that's been around for decades. It's one of the safest, most effective drugs. And, and he kind of had to, well, yeah, I'm not really okay with them portraying it this way. It was quite um, interesting. Yeah. But God forbid we say anything to correct the issue. Exactly. You know, so the homeopathics arrived and I started doing that. And my dad couldn't swallow anything or anything like that. So what I had done was dissolve the tablets in the water. And we started with bothrops, which helps with uh, clotting, right? So it helps kind of remove some of the clots and whatnot, as well as with the um, immunus mod, which is derived directly from the vaccine to counteract the adverse effects, which I know not a lot of people have heard of it and, and whatnot. And I'm, I think that's I intentional. Have. It's called <laughs> immunus mod. Say it again. It's immunus mod. Mod. Okay. Yeah. So, and this is a homeopathic version of the shot. Okay. Yeah, derived directly out of the shot. Do you know, so which I don't know one? how that works. Okay. Yeah. Works. That's, that's how homeopathic remedies are made. You take a physical substance, you take um, a bit of it, and then you create what's called a mother tincture, which is just the solution of that thing with some water. And then you take that and you dilute it and you whack it, which is called succussing it. And then you do that over and over and over again until you get, uh, you create ultra dilutions of it. And the more you dilute it, ironically, the, you know, it's very strange, but the more powerful it becomes. Okay. So this yeah. is what you're using. Fantastic. Yeah. And you can see from that description you just get, gave how, how dangerous it is and the FDA better control it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I'm being sarcastic. There's nothing in it. It's so it. funny because on the one hand they say, um, you know, it's, <laughs> it's a drug and it's dangerous and it needs to be put through um, uh, clinical trials like all the pharmaceuticals have. And on the other side, they say that you're a quack because there's nothing in it. So how exactly do you reconcile those two positions? They're irreconcilable, obviously. But you know, FDA is not about protecting us. It's about protecting <clears throat> their number one paymaster, which is the pharmaceutical industry. Yeah. <laughs> oh, one day we'll get there, Leslie. I'm sure. <laughs> one day it'll all make yes. sense. Yes. Yes. <laughs> so, yeah, oh my gosh, was... so you're giving him both drops, and the other one is called Immunis Mod. Yeah. One okay. M. One M was the the dosage amount, I believe, if okay. that's what you call it. But uh... no, that's the um, that's the potency. Oh yeah. And that means it's been uh, diluted one part per hundred a thousand times. Oh, awesome. Okay. That's good to know. I never asked because I've always been in this flight mode. So <laughs> just keep going. Yeah. Um, yeah. So he, he, he was getting better. They weren't able to remove the, 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 um, the vent from his throat for the longest time until all of this started. They were they were trying to deflate the cuff and it would fail. It would fail. It would fail. And two days after he's been on all of this stuff, it finally took. So you could see, see the shifts start taking place. And even in his brain, you could see him starting to make more sense of what was going on and where he was and who he was with. And um, so it, it was, it was quite a magical process, but on the other hand, we had all of the staff at the hospital telling me, it only reflexes. He's not moving. His toes were starting to move. His legs were moving. His arms were moving. They had him in a chair and he could sit himself with his neck, like get his neck up. And I'm like, that is not a reflex. What are you trying to prove? Yeah. 
you know, so then they moved him up to, uh, it's, it's funny. I mean, it, it, what's so strange is that you would think that hospital staff would be pulling for him and, and be excited about his improvements, right? You would think yeah. that that would be, that would be a normal, rational, um, human reaction to a patient improving under your watch. And yet they're looking for everything negative. It's, it's incredible. It just, well, and what gave me what what really got to me? I've got a, I've got a kid that plays high level hockey, okay, and she's had her share of concussions, and it's a six week process at least to to heal, right? But they're not even giving him six hours before they want to pull the plug. So my brain starts going, "What's going on here?" Mm-hmm. You know, um, and then they're they're giving me all of these like time frames of six days and six minutes or six just it was the most bizarre thing I've ever been and I'm like listen if you're gonna give somebody six weeks to heal from a concussion don't you think you'd give someone with a stroke the same courtesy like that there's a lot of inflammation that's going on in there now sure there's Mm -hmm. brain death but that's traumatic yes of course so we need to let it heal and find out where we're sitting anyways. Completely. Now, I just have to interject that yeah. concussions can heal very, very quickly with homeopathy. I know because my son had probably four of them and he has no residual effects because I always treated him homeopathically. I saw, I've seen miracles. Um, yeah. So this idea that you can't heal them and that it takes that long is just not accurate. If you do nothing, if you have no medical interventions, yes, of course. But of course, they don't have any medical interventions that work. And so they tell you that's what it requires when there are things like homeopathy and other other non-drug-based uh, therapeutics. Again, just what I would do personally, not giving medical advice to anybody. Right. And, I've, and- I've, I've treated many people who had concussions and I've watched people feel so much better. Yeah. And guess what that price tag is, Leslie? It's like $8. It's $8. (laughs) That might be part of the problem. Yeah, just a little bit. (laughs) (laughs) So dad's moved up to the ICUB, which is not acute acute. Um, It's the next stage. And this is where the dog. And were they like pulling him, trying to keep him back in the acute? I mean, no, they were trying to, to get that... rid of him at this point because yeah. they knew I wasn't buying their program. Okay. Right? Wow. Wow. Um, so now he's up to the next level and uh, they've got him stuffed into this little tiny room. You know, he's only allowed visitors for two hours a day and it's only one person for the duration of his stay, which the stimulation level for someone with a stroke and, and healing it, that, that, that doesn't help obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, but while I was up there, I, I remember chatting with one of the nurses specifically and her saying, you know, we prefer when family and friends aren't allowed in anyways, it makes our jobs a lot easier. We don't answer to anybody. And I just looked at her and I'm like, do you understand your audience? <laughs> I don't even know how to respond to that, but thank you. Thank you for your, your uh, consideration. You know, um, I had other conversations with nurses that said, how many vaccines did he have? You know, we're seeing a ton of heart attacks and strokes after the second one, mm-hmm. you know? So that was a big indicator too. And I, I even remember saying when he was in there, 
what do I need at home to have him at home? And they were like, you couldn't do this on your own. There's no way you need too much equipment, too much help, too much this, too much that. And they just prepare you to scare you, you know? Um, But the doctor did finally recognize that he was starting to track her across the room and he could do the movements that she had asked. But like I told her earlier on, if you give him 30 seconds to process your request, you will watch him be able to do what you're asking. Mm -hmm. And he was doing it. So that's when they moved him up to the stroke unit. And I thought, okay, stage three, we're almost there. We are almost there. It ever so they they never knew that you were giving him ivermectin. Did they ever know that you were giving him homeopathics? Nope, nope. They just couldn't figure it out. They couldn't figure out how. He this is why. Can I tell you something? Strength. This is why it's so critically important that we have access to our loved ones when they are admitted to the hospital. Because we had this issue with my father-in-law who ended up dying. And um, they refused us. Anytime we tried to intervene, anything that we wanted to give them, anything we wanted to do, um, they made it impossible. And it went from you can have one visitor every hour to you can have one visitor a day to you can have one family member call once a day for an update. Literally. It's like he's a hostage or something. You know, it's unbelievable. Anyway. Okay. So now he's up in the stroke unit. How fantastic. Right. So I go in the very first day he's in there and he's so proud of himself, Leslie. He is just, he's lit up. I don't even know how to explain it, but he can move all of his fingers. He can move his legs. He can move his toes. He's trying to sit up in the bed and he's trying to actually speak now. So he's on oxygen. So he's got the, the tray coal and he's on the oxygen and the whole nine yards. And he's trying to speak to me now and find his voice again, which was huge. It was huge. Right. So the whole two hours I sat there with him, did, did the whole thing, got the oils going, you know, everything that I could. And I, I gave him a kiss. I said, I'll be back tomorrow. And uh, this is it, dad. This, this is it. After this, this one, you can come home. And uh, I called the next day to make my appointment to go see him. And they had locked him down. They told me COVID was running rampant in the hospital and everyone it was shut down it was it was locked down and I said so when am I going to get to see my dad and they said well we don't know so sorry like stroke patient he needs he needs someone there like (laughs) you know stimulating his brain talking to him something to look forward to engaging him yeah keeping him here right yeah they're like "Mm, sorry no. Um, gosh. Yeah. And I'd call every day. I called twice a day, at least one in the morning, one at night, just to see where we were at and, and whatnot. And uh, um, they didn't really give a lot of details, like, which, which makes me remember too, the, the doctor looking at me as she tells me, we're going to move him up to the stroke unit. She looks at me, she goes, you understand that this is a medicine unit, right? And I just looked at her like, I don't, I don't get it. You know, I don't understand why you're making that point. But in hindsight, I 100% understand what she meant. Like, we're going to drug him. We're going to drug him. And we don't care if you see him again or not. Yes. Oh, my God. So four days later, four days. Okay. I get a phone call from the doctor 
And she says, well, I just wanted to call and let you know that um, he's palliative again and you need to prepare yourself because he's going to die. I said, I'm sorry, what? And she said, yeah, you know, he's not responding anymore. His liver's toxic. Um, He's on insulin. I said, insulin, he's never needed insulin or been a diabetic in his entire life. What's going on? Um, he's got, oh, and he's got COVID said he's got COVID. Don't you think somebody should have called to let me know since I was the only one with him, if it was that bad. And now it could be running through my house, but you can lock the hospital down. You just, you can't tell me that he's got COVID. That's convenient. He never had COVID. I'm just going to say right now. Yeah. Um, Oh, oh, and they wanted to give him remdesivir. And I said, if you touch him with remdesivir, you will see, I will sue you. Like there will be a lawsuit so bad. You're going to know the mistake. Amanda, you, made. you know, listen, there are so many people who talk about um, so many of our peers talking about genocide, Vera Sharav and, you know, yes. friends like that and what's going on. But it's, this is, or, you know, um, Scott Shara and what happened to his daughter, Grace, who was literally murdered, what, right? Because she's a Down syndrome child. And this story, it's, it's, it's remarkable, their commitment to actually getting rid of him. That's what's remarkable. Yeah, it, it was literally a commitment. It yes, was a commitment. Is it, is it, I don't know, is it because it's genocide? Is it because they um, don't want evidence that their shots don't work or that these healing modalities work. I don't know. I wonder, but this is just uh jaw dropping, truly yeah. jaw dropping. I didn't know these aspects of the story. And I mean, <sighs> yeah, <sighs> well, I can tell you, they just wanted the bed and they wanted the money, the money. Yeah. As soon as they could label him with COVID, it was double of everything that they were being billed. Right. You and know, if he it's, died it's with double. COVID, it was, I think it's like $35,000 or something like that for each COVID death. The here, here it can be up to three hundred or five hundred thousand, I believe. Wow. In the state of Idaho, they get a hundred thousand. That's what their reimbursement is. But you know, the thing is, it, it just reinforces for me something that you know we have all these phrases that we use in a kind of common parlance in English: cold-hearted, hard-hearted, heartless. It's pretty hard to argue that these people have any heart at all. Yeah. Do they I'm not doing my job? But more than that, they have no capacity to understand the power of love or the importance of love and the importance of being with your father or your grandfather or your great grandfather, whatever, you know, whomever it might be because of the love and what that does to, you know, what meaning that gives to life, what joy and what fulfillment it gives to this human existence. I just find it um, it's, it's staggering. It's all I can say. Well, they forget that, that connection is part of the healing modalities that God gave us himself. You know, we can't see our soul, which means there's other aspects in the world that are out there that are capable of healing frequency, vibration, sound, you know, all of that stuff that we, we have, we're still overlooking Mm. because we're stuck in this ego complex. We, we forgot our heart. Yeah. You know, we think logistically, but we if they ever had one, sorry, well, but and that's mean, it. Literally, do they even have a heart? I just right. They've been know. overtaken by the ego complexes, right? Yeah. The God complexes, and you know the 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 yeah. letters behind names, and we've just allowed, we've handed our power 
over to these people for no good reason other than it was just easier. It was convenient. And and now we don't, we don't even question it. And that's silly. It's silly. Okay. So So, four days later, they're basically ready to pull the plug on him again. Yeah. And what do you do? So I went into fight or flight mode and panicked. I knew they were lying on an epic scale and I put together a team of the fired nurses, like the hospitals had fired due to um, vaccine requirements. Um, and I found an amazing team. And by the grace of God, I found a doctor who would make house calls. I found a company who came in and put, turned one of my bedrooms into a hospital room. And all the equipment showed up. It just, it was so, the timing was so divine. I can't even explain it. Mm -hmm. And this is why I say, you can't tell me God doesn't exist in this when you give up control, you know? Um, So I got the transportation ready and I called them. I had everybody hired on the Sunday and the hospital called me Monday after I submitted the form saying, I'm coming to get him. I'm not asking you, I'm telling you. And they called me Monday morning saying, are you coming today? And I was like, no, I'll be there Wednesday. Make sure my dad's ready to go. Do I need to provide you with a nurse to escort him home in the transport? No, no, you know, it's, it's fine. The transport's all trained and whatnot on what they need to be. I said, okay, do I need to provide any equipment that like a suction machine? Cause he's still on the trach, right? So there's a lot of uh, phlegm and mucus and stuff like that. that gross. I know, but um, no, no, he's doing well. He can go four hours at a time. But I, I, at that point, I wasn't even, a. I didn't even make the connection between the jostling and the movement of the mucus going either. Anyways, that's neither here nor there. Um, so Wednesday comes, everybody's in my house by eight o'clock in the morning. My dad's supposed to be here by 11. They call me at 1036. The hospital calls at 1036. It's the doctor again. And she says, oh, yeah, sorry, we can't send your dad. I said, I'm sorry, what? And she said, yeah, no, you were supposed to provide us with a nurse to escort him home. (gasps) Yeah. I said, well, that's funny, because when I called you Monday with my nurse on the phone, you specifically said, I didn't require that. And she's like, oh, I don't know who would have told you that. And I'm like, well, here's her name. I have her name. I have the time I talked to her. So maybe you need to go talk to her. And um, she's like, well, and that's not even it. I mean, you needed to provide a um, portable suction machine as well. And I said, well, that's funny because I asked that question exactly too. So which is it? You told me he didn't need one on the way home because he goes four hours. Well, no, he needs it. Okay. So we're not going to send him home. I said, oh, you're sending him home. I'm rebooking that transportation and I will be there today. You have him ready. So I booked it again for four o'clock. Myself and a nurse had to run around pretty much everywhere that morning to find a portable suction machine. I don't even know what it is, but (laughs) I got to find one. And uh, we did, by the grace of God, again, we found one. There's none left in southwestern Ontario except one close to my house, which I just, I couldn't even. Um, So we drive to go to the hospital, get it. My nurse gets out. She was a complete rock star. She hops out, 
you know, and just marches her way upstairs. She's wearing a stethoscope, so they don't even stop her and ask for vax papers or anything, right? And up to his room she goes. She calls me and she's like, uh, they won't even let me look at his records. They won't show me what his blood levels are at. They won't show me anything. They're trying to say that there's a code blue and they're all standing around the, the, oh, the little kiosk. So they're going to send him out with no information. Okay. And, and to be fair, I shouldn't even say to be fair. They were fine with him coming home when they didn't know I had a team to take care of him. They thought I was bringing him home to die. They had no idea I had hired a team until that day to uh, take care of him. And they knew what I was going to find now. And this was, this was the struggle here. Okay. So they brought him down. I wasn't allowed to go up. I had to go wait out by the back doors and wait for them all to come down. And uh, so they bring him down. His stomach is touching the back of his spine. He hasn't been fed. His entire face is sunken in. He looks like Skeletor. I don't like uh, his hair is everywhere. He doesn't he's always shaved. So it's just and you could see he hadn't been there was nothing, nothing. There was nothing. And that's not even the worst part. The worst part oh comes when we get him home. Oh gosh. So I say to my dad, as he's rolled down, I said, dad, this is it. We're going home, you know? And he kind of looks at me and he looks away and he's so high. He doesn't know what's going on. We get him outside and it's January, uh, January 26th. So it's cold and the sun, the sun's out for the first time in weeks and it's shining down on his face. And I think he kind of, it kind of snapped him out of that drug haze he was in. And he looked at me and I said, dad, you're okay. You're coming home now. And he got this tear and it rolled off the side of his face. And I started crying like a blubbering idiot, but um, I'm like, whatever, get your ass in the van. We're going home. We're out of here. Right. Just the sooner we can get out of here, the better at this point. So he gets in the transport. I follow them home. We get home. He gets into the room. He gets into the bed. And he is covered from head to toe in bed sores. And I don't mean like small, you know, coccyx because you've been laying there type thing. I mean, toes, heels, back of his legs, the back of his buttocks, like up his back, Ebola looking flesh eating disease. If, if someone was to look at him, you would think everything was rotting away. It was that bad. And there were tears of skin in places where there should never be tears. So now is this because they didn't roll him? Is it because they were starving him? I mean, is it, you know, what's it, could, it could have been a mixture of everything at this point. Um, when my nurse went in to get him, they put him in a private room uh, with a call button. Okay, so he's drowning in his secretions, drowning in his own secretions. There's mucus everywhere, all over him, drowning, and gave him a call button that he can't push. So, oh, just neglected him. Neglect. And literally, we're trying to let him die. It's just, it's just jaw dropping. This evil. This is just evil. Yep. Yep. So the doctor, well, and all the nurses and the doctors, do we call the lawyer now? Or like, what, what do you want to do? This is your call. And I said, listen, he's home. He's safe. Let's give him a couple of days to decide what he wants to do. Because we didn't know. We had mm-hmm. no idea if he was going to die at this point. Yeah. But 
my theory going in was if he comes home to die, it's a win. If he comes home to live, it's a win. Mm -hmm. There was no lose in this situation. Um, Obviously maybe just for him, but he, once, once he made the connection and once you could see the drugs actually wear off, there was this calm, you could, you could see the connection, like I'm safe. Holy cow. I'm not in there and I'm safe. You know, the masks were off. There was no more anxiety. He could, he could read lips. He could see things and whatever. And we had to start from scratch again. He couldn't move his legs. He couldn't move his fingers. He couldn't do anything. He he was completely back to square one when we got him home. Um, Yeah. But it's been, it was, it was a year, January 26th that he was home. He, uh, man, oh man, this man has been a walking I can't even say walking a a rolling miracle, if you will. Um, Since then we threw out all the food. Yeah. He, I don't know if you know, I don't know what they use in the States, but uh, it's Jevity. Jevity is the, is the food. It's that can of corn syrup with a few vitamins in it. Garbage. Listen, you go to the hospital, you're not getting treated to get well. You're not. No, I'm sorry. And that's what caused the insulin. That's what caused the insulin. Of course, because it's corn syrup and garbage. It's just, it's unbelievable. And this passes for healthcare. I'm sorry, but um, yeah, Yeah. I speak out regularly about the harm that conventional medicine causes. In the United States alone, 40,000 hospital errors every single day, every day, between 250 and 450,000, roughly based on the research deaths caused by our medical system every year in the United States. And that's not an emergency. And then that's not even, that's just errors and drugs, things like that. That's not even getting into that. They're literally poisoning people with garbage, filling them with garbage of high fructose corn syrup and stuff. It's just gross. So I want to just ask you, were they giving him, is it my Dazolam? Is that what you say? I think that's what it is. Were they giving him that? And how, you know, you said you had to start over again, but where is he now? <laughs> Just because I'm looking, we're, we're an hour in and I don't want to. Oh yeah. Yes. Going. No, he, he was on morphine and, and all kinds of stuff like that. Um, but now I can tell you, he, uh, he's great. We got rid of all of that garbage. He's on half a blood thinner a day now from 12 medications they sent him home on and real food again, he he's tube fed. So I have to mix all of his food. He there's no dairy, there's no wheat, there's no sugar, um, organic, you know, grass fed, (laughs) no chemicals amongst other things. And you watched him progress all over again. And it was crazy. And people kept saying, no, this is where he's going to stay, where he's going to stay. And then he'd hit another, another high, Mm -hmm. you know? And I mean, the lows are low but the highs make the lows all worth it at the end of the day. Like he, his blood work came back last week. He's no longer clotting. He's got the organs and the blood of a 25 year old that never touched a drop of alcohol in his life. His hair is now going from gray to black and I'm aging him backwards. So take that for what you will, you know, but it's work. and that's that's the problem with a lot of people doing this themselves. We've been conditioned to think we can't do this anymore. 
you know, and that was the destruction of the family unit. Mm-hmm. It was an intentional break, an intentional yeah, yeah. separation where, and in the past, this is what families did. This is what they came together for. Because we love our families, right? Because the love that we feel for our parents and our children is something that they can't even understand and that they can never override. So and they have to the break healing apart. environment. That right? of course as well. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. And so he did you keep giving him homeopathics when he came back as well? He yes, of course. Yes, I did. Um, he's been on quite a few different ones, and we keep going through the the process. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of herbal tinctures, um, a lot of herbs in his food, and a lot of nootropics, right? I'm trying to I'm trying to get to his brain now. And I know I can do it. I know if he's still healing, I see that progression every single day. It's very small. So someone who's not around him would never see it or get it, but there is always something new. He hasn't stopped. Hmm. So for them to tell me, you know, healing ends for strokes at six months is a load of garbage. When now we know the brain replaces itself every year now too, right? Like, and just think how new that is. Think of how many people we've lost because we didn't know that information before, you know? So the magic we could accomplish with a combination of all of these practices would be astronomical if we could just put our ego out of the way long enough to work together. Yeah. Well, and also if we could just get rid of the interests that are focused on money and power and control and not on our health and our well-being and our community and our family and our love and all those things, right? It's just, they're focused on completely different kinds of, um, I guess, goals than most of us are. Most of us just want to live and be free and be happy. That's what most people want. Most of us just don't want to be starving. And, you know, we want to be able to just have a decent life. We're not concerned about telling other people what to do. We're not concerned about controlling other people's lives or dictating. We don't need to have billions and billions of dollars. You know, that's just not what we're focused on. And so it's, it's actually, I think it's hard for those of us who aren't focused on those things to even comprehend that there are people who are more concerned about that than they are about other about these just basics of human life, human existence, and what really matters in life. Yeah, I agree. I agree. We got to get back to basics. We got to get back to simple. Don't we? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, Amanda, is there anything else you want to share? I mean, I'm so happy for you and I'm just so grateful to you for coming on the show and sharing your story with people, because I think it gives so much hope to people that I, I had dinner with a friend last weekend and she told me she knew of three people who had had heart issues after these injections. And one of them was only 45. And I think one was maybe around 60. And I forget how old the other one was. Um, But these are people who are now afraid and they think there's nothing that can be done. So um, if you had it to do for yourself and you were 45, would you, would it be diet? Would it be homeopathy? What would you do? If it was just, if, if you were a 45 year old who'd had an, a reaction like that? Um, well, uh, yeah, it would be, it would be bring it back to basics. Okay. You're going to remove the chemicals. You're, 
you're going to try to eat as clean as possible. You're going to remove the glyphosate. You're going to remove the GMOs. Um, man, listen to Dr. Corey and Merrick. Fasting is huge as well. Okay. Mm-hmm. Fasting is huge. And there's yeah. something to be said there. You just have to listen. And we eat out of convenience and entertainment. We don't eat because, you know, we don't wait till starving levels anymore. But we need, we really need to start listening to our bodies as a whole. Mm. Um, there's a way to reset everything. Yeah. I really, I really believe it. And I know it because I've seen it with my own two eyes, not once, but twice. I've seen yeah. it. Now, is he in bed still? He is. Now he's, we've got him to the point where he's sitting on the side of his bed and he can sit there and we, we maneuver him to kind of get his ribs and stuff going for Uh 12 minutes. He's up to 12 minutes right now sitting. That's fantastic. But wheelchair. Can he squeeze your arm still, your hand still and stuff like that? Yeah. He's got so much strength. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And Every day he gets better. I can't. Yeah. And every once in a while he comes out with a new word, right? Because he's got the aphasia too. So he's got yes and no downs. We have a communication system. It's great. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not perfect, but we've got it and it's ours, you know, oh, and I fantastic. still have my dad at the end of the day. Oh, I'm so glad, Amanda. I'm so glad. So, so glad. Well, listen, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you so much for sharing everything. Thank you so much for your courage and your um, tenacity, because there's no doubt in my mind that your father wouldn't be here with us today if um, if you hadn't been like that. And I hope that it inspires millions of other people to stand up for what's right, for what's decent, and for the people that they love. Yeah. So thank you so much. You're very welcome. Thanks for having me. Of course. My pleasure. Yeah.